Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I'm really, really excited about the 40 days. And today, I want to basically start off 40 days by helping you to get hungry and helping you to get expectant about what God's going to do with us corporately and us individually over the next 40 days. And so I was thinking this week, I was thinking, well, how do you get hungry? I was thinking about food. Well, how do you get hungry for food? And often what happens is if you see really tasty food or you smell it or just you think of your favorite foods, you get really hungry. So maybe for you, it might be something like a roast dinner. A roast dinner, a nice bit of meat, some Yorkshire pudding, stick gravy, and you see it, you smell it, you think, oh, my tummy's rumbling. Maybe you're more a kind of a pizza person. And the melted cheese bubbling on top, the pepperoni just makes your mouth start watering, your tummy start rumbling. Maybe your taste is slightly more refined, and you'd like pan-seared duck with medjool dates, Madeira-based onions, and a sprinkling of pomegranate seeds. Or maybe you just like a big burger with some chunky chips. And when we see these things, we think about these things, we remember things we've tasted in the past, we get hungry. I think it's the same with God. When we open the Bible, we see how good God is. We see all that he's done and wants to do with us. We get hungry to deepen our relationship with him, to know him more. And then what about expectation? How can you grow to have expectation that God wants to encounter you and develop your relationship with him? And again, I thought, well, how in life do we get expectation? Expectation flows from promise. If someone promises you they're going to give you a really good, a really exciting gift, you have expectation. There's this anticipation. When's it coming? What's it going to be? This excitement, this waiting. And again, as we open the Bible, we see what God's done, what God's doing, what God has promised he's going to do. It causes expectation to rise. If God said it, it's going to happen. And there's this sense of excitement and anticipation. So what I want to do for us today is just to briefly open up some stuff from the Bible, which is going to help us to grow in our hunger, to deepen our relationship with God, and it's going to make us expectant that actually you know, we can stand at the beginning of these 40 days and have faith and confidence that we're going to deepen our relationship with God over this time. And to be honest, this is kind of the journey God's taken me on over the last few months. When Paul shared with us a number of months ago now about the idea of this season, I was, to be honest, initially a bit sceptical. I was a bit sceptical of the language of hungering. I was a bit sceptical of... Um, I guess my personal need for it and then actually God very clearly spoke to me I was reading a book uh, when I was on holiday and I read it and I suddenly realised this book was presenting me this beautiful vision of what God wants in my relationship with him and this hunger kind of rose and I hadn't even realised that I wasn't feeling very hungry for God but as I saw what God said in his word this hunger arose inside of me so my hope and prayer today is that for some of us here who maybe have come and we think well I just don't get this 40 days thing I don't get the need for the hunger thing then actually as we look at this together you're going to find a hunger growing spontaneously almost in your heart The way we're going to do it, we're going to look at the Bible story as a story of intimacy with God and exile from God. That means being sent away from God. The whole Bible story can be kind of mapped on that continuum. So I'm going to slip through the story to where we are now, and we're going to use the space a bit. So I want you to imagine that on this side is intimacy with God, and on this side is exile from God. And in a few moments, some friends are going to come up, and they're going to help us to visualize the story as we actually go through. We start off at creation, and it's really important that we start at creation, that we understand creation, because, you know, if you want to find fulfillment in life, you need to know what you were designed to do, how you were designed to live. Because true fulfillment only ever comes when you're living in line with how you were created to live. If you've seen Toy Story 3, 
The toys in Toy Story 3 know this. Their owner, Andy, has grown up. He's, I think, kind of an, an older teen by Toy Story 3. And so he doesn't play with them anymore because they're toys for younger children. And they're sitting around feeling so empty and unfulfilled because they're designed to be played with by children. But they're just not. They're just sitting around. And if the story progresses, they get taken to a nursery, which actually goes quite badly. But when they arrive, they're really excited because they see all these children who are going to come in and play with them. They know they're going to be restored to what they were made to enjoy, how they were made to live life. They knew that fulfillment comes from living in line with what you're designed to do and to live with. So we need to really understand what has God made us for? How has God designed us to live so that we can truly find fulfillment in life? When we go to Genesis 1, the very first chapter of the Bible, the story of creation, we find that the end goal, God's chief purpose in creating everything, is that you and I might enjoy intimate Sabbath rest with him. He takes seven days to create the world, and the first three days, he kind of creates a blank canvas. He creates light, then sky and waters, and then land and plants. And then the next three days, he fills up that blank canvas. So into the light goes the sun, the moons, and the stars. Into the uh, sky and waters go the fish and the birds. Into the land go the humans and the animals. But then you look at day seven, and there's no pair for day seven. It doesn't fit with any of the previous days. That's because it is the pinnacle. It's meant to stand out as the really special day at the end. And Genesis, uh, the story ends, it says, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the pinnacle. Notice he says seventh, seventh, seventh. He says it three times because he wants you to get this is the most important bit. And notice also, every other day, if you read Genesis 1, goes, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day, or evening and morning, the fourth day. There's no evening and morning for the seventh day. This is meant to be eternal. This is God's design for each one of us, that we enjoy Sabbath rest with him in intimate relationship for all time. So let's get some volunteers up. Natalie, you can join me. And Sam, where's Sam Lurkin? Come to me. So you guys are going to represent humanity for us, okay? Together, these guys are representing the whole of humanity. And they, at the moment, are enjoying Sabbath rest with God. Come to this one. They're enjoying true intimacy with God. And so, you're also enjoying intimacy with God. So they look really happy, really fulfilled. Excellent, excellent. Genesis 2, we see more detail of this. God plants his beautiful garden. He places the first two humans into the garden. And we actually read that God used to walk in the cool of the day with humanity. There was this such intimate, close connection that God used to walk with them and talk with them. That, friends, is what we're made for. At its core, actually, every human heart longs for that kind of walking, talking intimacy with God. All the things we try, all the things people in the world are trying to fill that void in their heart, nothing will ever satisfy other than intimate relationship with God because that's what he's made us for. And this was summarized brilliantly by a guy hundreds of years ago now, a guy called Augustine in the 4th century. And he basically tried all the philosophies of the day. He was a really clever guy. He tried all the different philosophies, ways of thinking. He tried all sorts of different lifestyles. And eventually he became a Christian. And when he wrote his autobiography, he looked back on his whole life where he tried pretty much anything you could try to find kind of fulfillment in life. He concluded, he said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. God's made us for himself. Our hearts are restless. There's no peace. There's no true fulfillment. There's no fullness of life until we find it in intimate relationship with God. And it's recognizing this 
that creates hunger. Just like looking at those pictures, thinking about that food, it, it causes us to, something to bubble inside of us and get hungry. When we think of the fact that we're made to have intimate relationship with God, that that's the only way, the only place we will truly find fulfillment in life, it causes us to hunger after that, to desire that. So let me encourage you, if you're here today and you're thinking, well, I just don't feel that sense of hunger yet, spend some time this week, read Genesis 1, read Genesis 2, meditate on that truth that you are made to find fulfillment only through intimate relationship with God, and allow that to be birthed in your heart. Pray that God would uh, start that hunger inside of you. Why then is it that we don't enjoy that kind of fulfillment all the time? Well, of course, sadly, it's because the story doesn't end there. Very quickly, intimacy turns to exile. Humans turn their hearts away from God, they rebel against him, and God has to judge. And the form of this judgment is that humans are sent out of the garden, out away from intimacy with God, sent into exile with God. They're sent out of the garden, and actually this is so serious that God can call it death. So he's looking very unhappy now. <laughs> dear, dear. Uh, it's called death. To live in the garden was to have life, and God warns them, if you eat from that tree, you're going to die. And they leave the garden and they're still walking and talking. You think they don't look very dead. But actually to be sent away from where God is, is so serious, it's basically death. Because life is found in intimacy with God. And the whole rest of the story of the Bible, from the third chapter onwards, is all about God's mission and his determination to get humans to be able to dwell back in that place where he lives. So they don't live in exile from God, but they get once again to enjoy complete intimacy with God. So we need to continue the story to find out where we actually fit in. In the Old Testament, God chooses a people, the people of Israel. He rescues them, uh, chooses them for himself. And the key promise that God makes to this people is that he's going to dwell with them. In Exodus 29, God says to the people, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. God's key promise is, I'm going to dwell right among them. And notice he says the reason he brought them out of the land of Egypt, that's the Exodus story, the prince of Egypt, the reason he did that was that he might dwell among them. God's mission is about letting humans once again experience intimacy with him and dwell with him. And in the Old Testament, we see this begin to happen. It happens first at a place called Sinai, this big mountain in the desert. They get there and God said he is going to come down and he's going to encounter the people there. And in uh, Exodus 19, we see this happen. There is thunder and there is lightning. There's a thick cloud that comes down. There are loud trumpet blasts. And we read, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. God himself comes and dwells again near humanity. And then Moses, uh, and then the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. One guy, just one guy, gets to go back to intimacy with God, where God actually is. But actually, even though this one guy gets to go back, it's not like it wasn't Eden. Eden was walking in the cool of the day, walking and talking with God. This is really terrifying. One guy, there's this thunder, this lightning, these uh, loud trumpet cries. It's a really, really scary thing. And then it ended. And Moses had to go back to be with people, no longer with God. But God wanted a, a permanent place, a place where he could really live among them. So he instructed these people to make him a dwelling place, a tabernacle it's called, and then later a brick-built version, a temple. He said that he was going to come and live among the people in this tent. And when we look at the tent, we realise that actually it's a mini version of that Garden of Eden 
that humans were created to live in. To go inside of this tent was to go back to the garden where intimacy with God was enjoyed. You get things like when Adam and Eve are cast out of Eden, there are two cherubim, two angels placed to kind of guard the entranceway to it. In this tabernacle, entering to the very holy place where God himself dwelled, there were two statues of cherubim. Both the Garden of Eden and the tabernacle faced east. They're the only things in the first five books of the Bible that are said specifically to face east because they're meant to be related to each other. And in the middle of the garden was this beautiful tree, the tree of life, the tree that would forever sustain life in perfect intimacy with God. In the middle of the tabernacle is a a menorah that's like a candle lampstand which had deliberate decoration on it to make it look like a tree. God had made a mini Eden so that when one guy, as the high priest, would go in once a year, he was going back to what God had made people for. And so once a year, one man, Joachim Day again, gets to go back to intimacy with God. He gets to enter right in where God lives. So Natalie still looks rather sad because she's still exiled from God. Sam looks really happy gets in intimacy with God. But again, it's only once. It's once a year. It happens on a very important day called the Day of Atonement. Now, atonement means to make up for things, to put things to right. And it's about reconciliation. Think of the word, at one month. It's about bringing people back together. And you see, even Moses, or the high priest, wasn't worthy in his own self to go into where God was. Because God is completely perfect. And imperfect humans, as we all are, after Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden, can't dwell with the perfect God. And so God gave them laws at what they needed to do. And sacrifices had to take place in order for people to be able to go in. So the high priest would take a little goat, and the goat would be representative of the people. And the people would lay their hands on the goat, and they'd say, all the things that I've done wrong that make me imperfect, so I can't go in with God, I'm putting on this goat. And then the goat would be sacrificed. His blood would be shed on behalf of the people. And the, goat, the people were saying, this goat is taking the death that I deserve. And then the high priest would take the goats and put the blood right in where God dwelt. That holy of holies, the place where God himself dwelt among humans. The high priest were going, but it could only happen when a death had taken place. But they also had to take a second goat. This goat, again, they laid their hands on it. They said, we're putting all the stuff we've done wrong on this goat. And this goat gets sent away. And it has to go as far away as possible. It's sent into the wilderness just to go and run off on its own. Keep going, keep going, keep going. This goat experiences the exile that the people should experience. This goat gives his life so he can go into intimacy with God. That goat takes away the sins of the people. It goes into exile far, far away from God, the exile that the people themselves deserved. So God has done something to begin to restore this intimacy, but still it's only the one guy. This only happened once a year, and it was only possible because these goats were being sacrificed on behalf of the people. I wander back. And so again, he has to go back because he's no longer... It's the wrong day of the year, so you go back to exile from God. And this is why when you read the Old Testament, and especially things like the Psalms, there's such a longing to encounter God. In the Psalms, you read these desperate cries of people who just long to go into the tabernacle, to go where God lives. They know it's what they're made for, but they know actually they're not allowed. There's not a way open for them. So you read things like Psalm 42, which opens and says, As the deer pants for flowing streams... So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. 
When shall I come and appear before God? When can I get in and encounter intimacy with God? Or Psalm 84 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, thanks for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. There is this deep desire to be where God is, to experience intimacy with God, because they know that's what they're made for. But they also know they're imperfect, and the way is not open for them to freely come in. And actually, things get worse before anything gets better. God's people continue to turn their hearts away from him, continue to rebel against him. Again, God has to judge, and again, exile takes place. So you go even further away from intimacy with God. God allows foreign nations to come in to destroy the temple where he lived among the people. Many of the people are cast off to foreign lands far from where God had dwelt among them. And most terrifyingly of all, most sadly of all, God no longer dwells with them. So one of the prophets, Ezekiel, sees this vision of the temple in Ezekiel 10. And he sees God's glory, God himself dwelling in the temple. But then the glory of God moves up and it goes to the threshold of the temple. And there's this moment where it's like God takes a glance back to look. He sees the people still worshipping other gods, still rebelling against him. And he leaves. There'd been partial intimacy with God, but humans are so sinful, so imperfect, that God could not even stay with them. And just like Adam and Eve, people had to be expelled, exiled, far, far away from God. But at the same time, there were promises coming. There was a promise that intimacy would be restored. God is still on that mission, still determined to get us back into the garden to be with him. So you get God in the prophets talking about a new temple that's going to come. He promises he once again will come and dwell among people. So again, Ezekiel, one of these prophets, a mouthpiece for God, he has a vision of a, a brand new temple. And he sees God's glory coming. And he writes, as the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The glory of the Lord, in Ezekiel 10, he'd seen leave and up sticks because of people's rebellion. One day, he's going to come and dwell again in a new temple. And then we also get a promise in the Old Testament that God is going to pour the Holy Spirit, God himself, out on all of his people. Joel 2 says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. God is promising he's going to do something new. He's going to restore intimacy, living among people and actually coming to live within us by his Holy Spirit. And then there's 400 years of silence and waiting. The people are experiencing exile from God. There is actually a new temple, but where is the tabernacle and the first temple? There's this amazing moment where God shows up and fills the temple. It doesn't happen with a new temple. They're still experiencing exile. They're still waiting to be restored to the intimacy they were made for. And that's when Jesus comes. Jesus comes to restore us to the intimacy that each one of us, you and I, were made to enjoy. I need a Jesus. Do you mind? Jesus comes. Jesus in his very self is the temple. He combines in himself humanity, humanness and divinity, God. He is fully man and fully God. He becomes, while he's on earth, the temple who walks around among us. He's also the one who becomes our day of atonement sacrifice so that you and I might enter back into intimacy with God. Because like the exiled goat, Jesus, as he walks to the cross, carrying his cross, is sent out of the city. The city was where God dwelt in the temple. Jesus carries his cross and he goes out of the temple. And as Jesus out of the city, far from God, exiled from God, as Jesus hangs on the cross, he cries out, my God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? Just like the exiled goat who got sent far away, Jesus was exiled in our place so that we don't have to be, experiencing the ultimate exile from God that we should experience because of our sin and the way we've rebelled against God. But Jesus is also like the sacrificed goat. He died as a substitute. All God's righteous uh, anger and judgment and punishment of the things we've done wrong was poured out on Jesus. And after three days, Jesus rose again. And after 40 days, Jesus ascended and went back to be right in the very place where God himself dwells. So in the Hebrew letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, we're told that every priest, this is Old Testament priest, stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The guys in the Old Testament, they're standing up. They're constantly sacrificing. Every day, actually, they had to sacrifice animals because really, it wasn't doing the job. It wasn't allowing humanity to come back there. But then he says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus gets to sit down because he doesn't need to make any more sacrifice. He has done it once and for all. He sits down at the right hand of God. Why? For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus' death in our place perfects us for all time so that we are now considered worthy to go in and have intimacy with God. And again, Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who's passed through the heavens, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is the one who takes his very humanity into pure intimacy with God, where God dwells in his heavenly throne room, so that we might follow. And this is where we get involved. We now get to have intimacy with God. We have intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit. Just as he had been promised, the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people. So God, the Bible tells us, when Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, God gave him the promised one as the Holy Spirit. And he now pours it down on the people. And so it's a bit like the people kind of meet in the middle. The Holy Spirit comes down to us and he raises it up to encounter community with God, to encounter uh, God in intimacy. God no longer dwells among people. He doesn't have kind of a tent which is around about where the people are. Now he lives within people. Now you and I are the temple of God. We are the place where God and humanity mix and live together on earth. We are the new temple, and this is true of every Christian. If you're a Christian here today, the Holy Spirit has already worked in your heart. You are intimately well acquainted. But actually, it's also true that God wants to fill us continually. There are moments of encounter where God's Holy Spirit comes and fills us and helps us to grow in experience and that intimacy that we were made for. That's why one of the kind of chief aims we've said for this season is that we want to grow in intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Because as we grow in intimacy with the Holy Spirit, we are growing in intimacy with God. And that is what we were created to enjoy. That is where we will find complete and utter glorious fulfillment. And actually, that's when God is most glorified, most given all the things that he rightly, rightly deserves. Thank you so much, guys. You can take a seat. So friends, let me encourage you, this season, make a point of getting hungry. If you're not feeling hungry, think on the fact, meditate on the fact that you are made to find fulfillment in relationship with God. It is the only place, the only way, the only thing which will find fulfillment. Think of those times, and the psalmist says, taste and see, the Lord is good. Think of those times in the past when you've encountered intimacy with God. 
how it brought life to your soul. And maybe actually you're coming to this and you're just thinking, well, I'm just not very expectant. I'm just not convinced, to be honest, much is going to happen. I'm not convinced God wants to do much. Friends, remind yourself of this story. God is so determined to get us back. He sent his very own son to experience the ultimate exile, to be our sacrifice who goes into the heavenly holy of holies that we might follow after, that we might go with him. How do we actually do this? How do we develop intimacy with God? Well, I'm not going to give lots of practical stuff now, but over the coming 40 days in different contexts, both what we teach and what we do together, we'll be learning together. What does it look like to have intimacy with God? But let me just encourage you, if you're in a midweek groups, a community group or a small group, even just in friendships, let's be talking. How are you uh, hungering after God? How are you walking out your relationship with God? Because often the hardest thing, isn't it, is just knowing some really practical things of what might it look like to pray every day? What might it look like to read the Bible? And talking to friends, talking with a small group can really help you. So be proactive. But what we want to do today, actually, we just want to start by coming, expressing our hunger to God and asking him to come and uh, bring intimacy with him to us. So if I can invite the band to come back up. We've got a good chunk of time. We're just going to worship. We don't really know what's going to happen. We might pray for each other. If you feel you've got something God wants uh, to share with us, come and find some of us down the front here. We'll have a chat and we'll see what God's saying to us and we'll respond. Would you like to stand if you're willing and able? Let's just start uh, engaging with God. And before we see anything, I just think it'd be good for us individually to engage with God. You may need to say to God, God, I'm really not hungry. Would you come and birth a true hunger for intimacy with you in my heart? You may be here and you are so ready, you are so hungry for intimacy with God and you need to express that to him. You need to tell him you're longing for him. Maybe you're hearing this feeling, I have, I have no sense of expectation actually for this season. And you need to preach that truth for yourself and again, ask God to birth uh, expectation in your heart of what he wants to do with you and what he wants to do with us. Let me pray. Let's start engaging with God and then I'll hand to the band. Lord God, we thank you so much that you have created us to enjoy intimacy with you. And Lord, we thank you so, so much that though we are totally undeserving of that, totally unworthy, though we should experience complete and utter exile for you, from you for all eternity, I thank you that out of your great love and goodness, you have made the way that we, right now, right today, can come and know you in an intimate personal way. We right now, through your Holy Spirit, can come and join you in your heavenly throne room. We can be restored to all that we were made for. We can find true, utter, lasting, complete fulfillment. And we just invite you now. Holy Spirit, we say, would you come? Would you come fill us? I pray where there are hungry hearts, would you come and bring uh, some satisfaction? Would you come and bring uh, your intimacy close? I pray where there are hearts which aren't hungry but want to be hungry, would you birth deep, deep hunger right now? Would you present the beauty of that vision of life with you and cause hunger to arise? Where there are hearts who just aren't really expecting much to happen over these 40 days, I pray you'll bring a real sense of expectation. Now the promises we've seen, your determination to be with us that we've seen, would bring expectation to our hearts. Oh Holy Spirit, we pray, come right now, come and counsel us.